0: have to have an enhanced will to survive you need to have a positive attitude you're going to make it no matter what you are going to walk out of there if for no other reason than to piss off the mortgage company
1: hey there Welcome back to another episode of Everyday Marksman. I am your host, Matt Robertson, and this is a podcast where we talk about tactical skills for living a more adventurous life. This is episode number 20, and of course, you can find our show notes at everydaymarksman.co. If you're new to the show, then welcome. I am glad you are here. This is a great episode to join us on because I am talking to Mike Moore, a former U.S. Army Special Forces SEER instructor. Now, if you don't know what SEER means, S-E-R-E, that is okay. We're going to cover it in the interview. What you should know is that Mike is an expert at surviving in the wilderness, as well as a lot of other skills we didn't get to talk to during this discussion, maybe in the future. Now, among the topics that we cover, we get into mindset of survival and how important that is. We're going to talk about what a good homemade survival kit looks like and what you should be putting in it. And we're going to also dig into some myths and some uncomfortable truths about surviving in the real world. But before we get to that, I have a couple admin items to cover. So shout out to Al Gray in the community for completing the 100 for 30 push-up challenge, which means he did 100 hand-release push-ups per day for 30 consecutive days. And I can tell you that takes a lot of discipline to fit that into your schedule. As a reminder, this month's Marksman Challenge is all about doing dry fire practice. So you need to average 10 minutes per day for 30 days. So if you can get 300 minutes of dry practice in over 30 days, you are golden. Make sure you join our community and let us know when you've completed that. Speaking of our community, if you guys have been around for a while, you might have realized that the forum is gone. And that's because we are replacing it with a brand new system that I'm super excited to show you, announcements to come. But in the meantime, if you go to everydaymarksmanco forward slash community, you can sign up for the waiting list and get notified as soon as it goes live. And one last item, I want to throw another shout out to Dan for supporting us via Kofi. So if you want to help our podcast out, help our website grow, go to everydaymarksman.co forward slash support. And for the cost of a box of ammo, you could really help us produce content and make things awesome. And as always, if you are pressed for time, you can jump to the last 10 minutes or so and get my key takeaways from this discussion. let not hold you up any longer, let's bring Mike on via the phone. Hey, hey, Mike, welcome to the show.
0: Well, I'm glad to be here.
1: I want to be clear that you know somebody listening to this episode might not know off the bat what SEER is and what it entails. So could you give me a snapshot of what does SEER look like?
0: Uh, SEER stands for Survival, Evasion, Resistance, and Escape. That is for the military personnel that hold a high probability of being rolled up in a war zone or in some other trouble spot in the world where they might be working at. So we teach people how to keep from being captured or taken hostage, and we teach them the basics, and in fact we get a little bit further than basics as far as survival goes then there's resistance phase and of course the escape phase of how to get away from people who are holding you against your will.
1: As far as how this looks in person, how long do these phases usually go?
0: A lot of the schools go approximately 25 days.
1: So getting into the survival side of it, which is where I really want to focus our conversation today.
0: If right off the bat, I'm going
1: to ask what are the top three things you think everybody should learn how to do when it comes to survival?
0: Well, first they need to learn how to read a map and compass because we have all kinds of stories of people that are out in the woods and get lost. The uh, next thing would be how to build a fire, and that can be far more involved than a lot of people believe it is, depending on your situation. And then the next thing I would say is know what is in the area that you can utilize for a food source because that will directly impact on your ability to survive in a longer period of time. And after about two and a half days out there in the bush moving around with low water or low to no food or calories, your sleep gets bad, you start to lose body weight, and the body will cannibalize off the muscle groups that you're not using. And you'll start to lose focus, and there's a whole laundry list of things that start to happen to you, which directly impacts your ability to stay alive.
1: Okay. So that makes sense. Obviously you want to be able to navigate yourself around uh, without GPS. Cause that uses batteries. Mm-hmm. Uh, you want to be able to build a fire. Now are you talking like friction fire or you think, you know, if you as, as you have something like a lens that you could keep nearby to, to start that, or even just carrying a lighter.
0: Everybody, if you're going to go out and about like that should have a lighter. Okay. A Zippo lighter, preferably. Because with the Zippo lighter, if it's one of the bright, shiny models of the Zippo, you can utilize that for signaling. You can take it apart and use the cotton on the inside where the fuel goes as a fire starter. And, of course, you've got the sparking capability from the flint and the wheel. So that's an excellent piece of survival gear to carry with you. If you start working with going beyond that and you're using lenses and, and other items like of that nature, you better know exactly what you're doing. Fire starting takes practice. Most people do not practice building or starting fires. And then they get all kinds of confused when the time comes, they actually have to show that they can build a fire.
1: Great advice. It's funny cause that's actually counter to some of the stuff I've heard in the past where, where people focus on, Oh, carry a big lighter. And, and cause you can buy a box of them for cheap for 10 bucks. Um, but then never talk about the multi-use piece of that, which I think is really important.
0: Anything that you're carrying in the way of an item for personal survival, you should try to have something that has multiple uses. That way you get more bang for your buck, uh, problems that come up with the BIC lighters. Well, if you get into a cold climate, the fuel will turn to slush. The big lighter will not work unless you take it and put it under your armpit or in your crotch and warm it up. You'll have spark, but you won't be able to get any fire. And the big lighter is relatively easy to crush. So stick with the Zippo, the bright and shiny Zippo. Keep it in your pocket all the time, fueled and with extra flints in there, and you have an excellent piece of equipment to help start a fire.
1: How big should a survival kit be?
0: Wow. Okay, yeah, that's, a, that's a biggie. You know, quite literally, no pun intended, that's a biggie. Uh, it depends on the, the situation you're in, okay? If you're in the military, you're, you're looking at every ounce you put on you is something else you've got to leave behind, normally a warmie or food. If you're a civilian, you know, it's still a problem, because the bigger the kit, something else you have to leave behind out of your backpack. Now, you can spend everything from, say, around $15, okay? Then you've got one here that costs 250 It's the size of a cigar box. You can make a good one out of multifunctional equipment the size of a soap dish. But you have to know what you're doing with the tools that you put in there. If you're not good with the tools it said if you don't get the chance to practice then you're looking at one that's probably going to be about two inches thick by four inches by seven inches because you're gonna have to add some other things in there that are larger so you can manipulate them accurately when you're tired
1: what do you think about you know depending also your capacity so would you have a different more fully featured survival kit in like a vehicle than what you might carry in a pack.
0: Oh, yes. Nick Rowe used to stress three, a person carried three kits. One on his person. Okay, the soap dish kit in the old uh, OG-107 Olive Drab Jungle Fatigues, we had the radio pocket there for the survival radio inside your left leg pocket. The, the soap dish kit used to fit perfectly inside that pocket. Then you would go to uh, your next larger kit would be in an ammunition pouch on your belt or your load-bearing equipment. And it would have everything that you had in the soap dish, and then you would expand upon it. And then you used to say, you know, put one about the size of a small cigar box in the radio pouch of your rucksack. Once again, you would expand upon it. That way... If you long, if you had to ditch the rucksack, you still had two survival kits. If you got caught somewhere, if you didn't, if you really goofed up and you were too far from your load-bearing kit when the bad guy showed, and you had to run, you still had a survival kit in your pocket. So as a citizen out there, if you have one that you can carry on your person or in your day pack that you're utilizing as you're hiking, that's great. In a vehicle, you can make it bigger. How big? That is completely up to you. But be realistic about what you're putting in the kit. If you don't know how to use it, you shouldn't have it in there.
1: So to me, that comes down to the more you know how to do, the less you have to carry.
0: Exactly. In order to be a good survivor... Uh, you remember that TV show you used to be on in the 80s called MacGyver? Oh, yeah. With Richard Dean Anderson. I, I hated that show. <laughs> uh, ugh, I hated that show. But anyway, he made a comment in the first, I believe it was the first episode that really strikes true for any SEER instructor. He had that shoulder bag that he always carried. And this woman that was with him that he was trying to help asked him what the bag was for. And he said, it's not for what I'm taking with me. It's for what I find along the way. And that is so very accurate. You know, you have to be a good scrounger to be a survivor. You have to look at something that you find, and as you look at it, you have to see multiple uses for it. You know, a a tin can that you find along a road or a trail. Yes, I can boil water in this. I can cook in this. If I polish it, I can signal with this. I'm keeping it. Uh, I've been in places there in Africa where I would have sworn no human had ever been. And I've found plastic Pepsi bottles. All of a sudden, you go, you got to be kidding me. Here's a Pepsi bottle with a cap on it. I go, okay, here's a water-carrying device. No problem. Okay, uh, stray cordage that you find. You look at it and say, I can use this to help build a hooch to stay alive, or I can use it there as tinder to start a fire, or I can use it as fishing line. You've got to be able to look at it all, you know, and uh, the plastic bottle with dirt, gravel, and, uh, and some grass to go in it in about five layers. You cut the big wide end off. You can use as a water filter to help purify your water. It all depends on what you can see when you look at it.
1: Which comes from experience of having been trying things out.
0: Yeah, you got to try things out. You got to go out into the woods. You got to try things out.
1: Do you know any tools or exercises or activities that people can do to help develop that survival mindset?
0: You need to test yourself, you need to practice it. If you're going to, if you honestly believe you're going to be in a bad situation like that, where you have to survive, you need to go out and get, not just read a book, but go out there and practice with the equipment, learn from somebody, have an instructor, somebody who's, who knows how to do it, that will show you what to do with the equipment. Now, that will breed confidence in the individual, and you'll have a lot more of a positive attitude towards being able to survive.
1: So you mentioned build it yourself. What is what? An example of something you might build yourself?
0: Well, if I'm going to build a survival kit, first thing I do is I go to the junk drawer in the kitchen, and I look for stuff in there that fits the six or seven categories of survival, as in looking at for fire, food, water, medical, etc., first aid, signaling. I look for stuff that I can get more than one use out of. Picture frame hanging wire is excellent for traps and snares. It can also be used to bond an improvised spearhead onto a stick if you need to have one. It can be used to help build a hooch for you to live under and get out of the weather. A good, really good one is parachute cord. If you have about 30 meters of parachute cord, you can build virtually anything. You can cut the ends off of it if they're fused, and then you have, depending on the type of paracord, upwards of eight different strands on the inside of it that you can use to sew up equipment, sew yourself up if you're injured, etc. Signaling, we talked about the Zippo lighter. Look for a signal mirror. Okay, I go through there to the junk drawer, and I've got, after all my time in the military, I've got all kinds of crap laying around in the garage. I go out there. What do I have out here that I might be able to use in the kit? Okay. I've got uh knife blades for a tile knife out here. Okay. There's a knife right there, a knife blade. I can put that in the kit.
1: I'm going to unpack all this a little bit. There was a lot of stuff you just mentioned to me. So I want to start actually with the the seven categories of survival. So you mentioned, I heard signal, some shelter, wire cordage, knife, medical, um, kind of let's go through what, what are the actual seven categories Just kind of list them out.
0: Okay. The first one is water. You need to have something to carry water. The general rule of thumb is three days without water and you're dead. Well, that's not exactly true. That's a generalization. There've been people who've lasted 26 days on just one cap, canteen cap of water fire. Okay. We need something to build a fire with, we need something to start the fire. As far as something to build a fire with or tender, if you should always have a small notebook with you, then you've got tender. If you have a number two pencil and an old-fashioned pencil sharpener, you've got tender because as you sharpen the pencil, you automatically make tinder for your fire. Now, shelter, with that, we go back to the Wire, that I mentioned, and for the parachute cord. Food, well, we also, we go back to that wire and the parachute cord again for traps and snares, and the parachute cord, once you gut it out, you can use one of the interior strands for fishing line, depending if you have that ability in your area. First aid, band-aids, a super glue, Have some kind of antiseptic with you and take aspirin along with you. Keep it minimal. Those are easy items to utilize. And for signaling, we've got the Zippo lighter. You can buy a signal mirror that is military issue, an acrylic one, and you've got signal partially taken care of. With the ability to build a fire, we can go ahead and build a signal fire of three fires in a line which is a universal signal of distress. It gives you an edge right there. Depending on your area, you could go ahead and put chapstick in there. Chapstick also comes in handy, plus it will burn. You can utilize it as a fire starter. You should always also have a pocket knife added to that kit and the one that I've used over the years more than anything else has been the Swiss Army Huntsman model because it gives you a bazillion tools on there. And it's just a serious boon to you on the survival side of the house. But that's something that you tie to yourself with the lanyard and put it in your pocket because you can put it in the survival kit, but let's use that space in the survival kit itself for, say, that antiseptic that we want to use for first aid. Medical stuff generally tends to be a totally separate kit. But for a personal survival kit, you put Band-Aids in there. Because most of the injuries that come to affect you real quick are cut fingers. If your hands, won't, you can't use your hands, it directly impacts your survival. Put in super glue, minor cuts, etc., or some of them even not so minor. Doctors use super glue on these days. Follow suit. Have a good tube of super glue in there. Carry some aspirins in there. You can get some of the small metal tins with aspirins. Put one of those inside your survival kit. Aspirin is, like they say, a wonder drug, it can be used for a wide variety of things.
1: So follow up on the, on the pocket knife thing. So I think everybody has the idea of carrying around like a Leatherman or some kind of multi-tool or a Swiss Army Huntsman. Um, is there a place for like a fixed blade knife in this?
0: Actually, if you have the capability in, of having a fixed blade knife with you, you should have one. If you are cleaning and preparing game animals, the Swiss Army knife or the Leatherman tool can do it. But quite naturally, you're going to get fur, skin, blood into the mechanical parts of those devices, and it'll rot. That can end up drawing predators to your location, or it can actually, if you don't get it cleaned out and you continue to use it, it could get into some of your food and make you rather ill. So yeah, a good sheath knife, approximately four inches long, would be fine. It needs to be a knife that has a full-length tang. You can get a good one that's from uh, Ontario knife. There, it's called the TAC-1. It's relatively, compared to most knives on the market, it's relatively inexpensive. It holds a good edge, and you can beat on it all you want to. And it's perfect for this type of situation. I use one myself.
1: So I want to ask another question here. What is some of the counterintuitive truths you, you've learned over time, things that people wouldn't expect to be true about survival?
0: Some of those things, when we get into that area right there, things that people wouldn't think are true, not everybody is a born survivor. I mean, it's some people, gonna, if you're in a group survival situation, you're probably going to have some people that aren't going to make it, regardless of what you do. And a lot of people will say, oh, you need to help bring these people along with you. You know, you can go run through an awful lot of supplies trying to do that. And some people just won't come along with you. Some of them will sit down, go into a deep funk, and they will will themselves to death.
1: So that's an interesting question about, about the willpower of that. So how important is the mindset piece of this?
0: for survival is critical. You have to have an enhanced will to survive. You need to have a positive attitude. You're going to make it. No matter what, you are going to walk out of there if for no other reason than to piss off the mortgage company. <laughs> or uh, the story that's commonly used is the guy that crashed out in Death Valley in a light plane and crawled his way out after a phenomenal amount of time, and he did it because the thing that drove him on was supposedly that he was going through an exceptionally ugly divorce, and he wasn't going to let to have that vile let that vile woman have all of his stuff. It's what drove him on. For the average citizen. Hey, carry a picture of your loved ones with you, your kids, your, heck, your dog or cat, so can look at it and say, I'm going to stay alive so I can get back to my girlfriend, my wife, my kids, etc. It gives you a focal point, and it gives you the urge to continue to march, to get out there and get home. You know, the mind can take you farther than the body thinks it can go. You have to have the determination. If people say, oh, I can't do it, I can't do it. Well, you're talking yourself into not being able to do it. you got to have the fire in your, in your belly. There's no such thing as being a guaranteed that you're not going to make it. It'll be difficult, maybe very hard to, but you can do it if you're determined.
1: So from what you've seen, what is usually like the most common thing that gets people?
0: The most common thing that gets people is they suddenly start to think that it's never going to end. You know, it's that last killer road march you have to do to get to the finish point. You know, if you've got to do a, a, a 20-click movement there to get to the finish point before it's over with, and people, you know, they start trudging along and trudging along, and they already hurt. They've been doing this for how many days now? And it just starts to build up on them like it's never going to end. It's never going, if I, you know, if I just decide, if I just sit down and rest for a little while, well, they'll never get back up. If they don't keep moving, they'll never get back up.
1: Hmm. I mean, that's really, I'm, I'm trying to think about that one. That's a really interesting point. And what I'm envisioning is kind of these, even outside of survival situations, but... Any kind of high stress, or people kind oh. of lose context and they start just thinking, "Well, oh, this is always happening to me," or they get really negative self-talk about it. Versus just nose to the grindstone and keep making it happen.
0: If you got someone with you that starts into that those negative comments, you need to shut them up quick. Well, that'll spread too. It spreads. It will spread. You'll have people that are doing great, and all of a sudden, you know, they'll be hearing this joker saying this stuff, and they'll start to dwell on it. And the next thing you know, you've got two people making a comment and it spreads and it adversely affects everybody's ability to make it to the finish line. You got to kank it as fast as you can.
1: So that was kind of one truth right there was that not everybody's going to make it because not everybody has the right mindset. Um, what else? What else is kind of counterintuitive to most people?
0: Uh. There is a mindset out there right now that no matter what, someone's going to come out and find you. That's not going to happen, okay? If they don't know where you went missing, it becomes incredibly hard to try and find you. And when you get out there with a whole mob of people trying to search and locate an individual, they generally muddy the tracks it becomes impossible for a visual tracker to work your sign to find you it adds so much scent overlay there it becomes kind of very hard and very difficult for the dog if they're using a tracking dog and it depends on how well that dog historically has has, uh, proven itself in the ability for scent tracking so the majority of the time you cannot Get out there and say, "Oh, they'll have an airplane overhead looking for me, you know, and by tomorrow, or we'll have people out here looking for us. You cannot trust that happening. So if you're going to stay alive, you're going to have to primarily defend on what you have on you and what you know in the way of survival.
1: So don't rely on others.
0: Don't rely on others at all.
1: And then, so would you say part of this is also having your plan and, you know, if you're going into the backwoods, let other people know the area you're going to and about when you think you'd be there.
0: Just like you're a pilot, give them a projected course where you're going to, where you're going in at and where you're headed to when you're in there. Let somebody know, Hey, if I, if you don't hear from me in 48 hours, Something is wrong. You know, follow this this set of of directions right here that I'm leaving behind and come find me. Too many people don't do that. They go out and they just go meandering through the woods, walking the trails. In fact, they might have walked that trail dozens of times. Where are you at and what time of season is it? What's the wildlife like? cougar attacks are on the increase in certain parts of the United States. Young wolves, young mountain lion, young bear cubs, or anything like that, you're in the wrong place at the wrong time. And I've been treated a couple of times by bears myself, and it's no fun. Be surprised how fast you can climb a tree when you have the uh, added impetus.
1: So that actually, you mentioned climbing a tree. Um, So one of the big things I always want to talk about people is is the fitness side of this. So how, how much does physical fitness affect your rate of survival?
0: Okay. Physical fitness is, you'll hear quite a few different things on physical fitness. If you carry, say it's your ideal weight and say you carry five or 10 pounds as most of us, most of us carry an extra 10 pounds, especially after we get off active duty or anything like that that uh, That's your tiger meat right there, or as I should say, that added weight on you that you can utilize to help keep you alive. It will help fuel your body for a few more days. However, if you have a great big expanded waistline like anything over, I want to say 44 inches, I'm going to be generous there, then you've got a little bit more of a problem. Yeah, you're carrying the weight. The weight's gonna impact on your ability to move distance. You'll burn a lot of it off, but uh, it's still gonna adversely impact you on during your survival. So you need to have upper body weight. You need to be able to walk distances. You need to be properly dressed. You, know, you need to have a very good set of foot gear on if you're gonna go out hiking through the bush something that's broken, comfortable, and is not going to shred there after about five or six miles in rough terrain there.
1: So something you just mentioned was calorie burn.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: assuming, I mean, if, you, if you're able to go in there and you know the vegetation, you know what to hunt and find and what you can snare, But what kind of survival rations might you keep around?
0: What I normally took with me in my rucksack I would take a Ziploc bag, and I'd fill it with minute rice. I would have bouillon cubes, not the instant, but the actual cubes. Beef jerky. I would have nuts, peanuts or cashews with me. Not these energy bars, et cetera, because the odds are that it's going to get rather hot. And that stuff will either start to melt, and make it a serious mess that you may not be able to eat, or it'll get all over what you do have in the way of equipment, and render some of it inoperative. Also, you know, I would sometimes I'd carry tin tuna, small cans of tuna with me. You can eat one a day, and it'll keep you alive. You won't be in the greatest shape there, but it will keep you alive. Beef jerky. Uh, they, right now they uh, have, let's see, Jack Lynx as these beefsteak strips. I'm holding one in my hand right here now. It's 70 calories and 8 grams of protein. A little bit over an inch wide, about a quarter inch thick, and maybe four inches long. You can pack a lot of those into certain areas of your backpack, and it goes a long way. You know, take some hard candy with you for quick energy. And that's always good right there, and a lot of people won't do it. You don't want to carry the hard candy because it'll melt. Go ahead and carry dried fruit. I like to carry dried pineapple. Man, you get a sugar jolt from that and a half. But it's, that's pure energy. So you can carry, okay, dried apples, you know, the cherries. You can take craisins and put them in a Ziploc bag and carry some of those too. Use those as a treat for yourself.
1: So I've done a couple events where where the mental stress is building up and it seems like like food is always a really good motivator, like you said, to have this this treat for yourself to kind of give you like a okay, I'm 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 doing okay, I'll keep
0: going here. Mm Mm-hmm. It gives yourself that little jolt there of sugar maybe If you do the pineapple it tastes great and it takes your mind off the misery that you're in at the moment and that's a good thing as well you don't want to think you're miserable all the time while you're out there trying and try and find something good in the situation as a positive point of survival
1: all right and my last question and you can take a moment to think about this one as well. Okay. What is the number one thing that you wish people would stop doing?
0: Oh, man, they would stop doing. Okay, I would, I would wish, right there, we're talking about looking for somebody that's out there trying to survive. I would wish that they would stop sending these mobs of people running through the bush looking for them right off the bat, because all they're doing when they do that, and I know their heart's in the right place, but all they're doing is they're masking the scent of the person you're looking for, they're muddling up the the sign that he's left behind, and the tracker dogs and visual trackers won't have anything to work off of, unless they've got some item of personal clothing, et cetera, to work scent from. And unfortunately, the best scent is what that individual has on their person. Unless you've got something that he had on him that he dropped, it's going to be difficult for the dogs.
1: Okay. So don't be so overzealous to help that you re- you hurt your chances of actually finding somebody.
0: Exactly. If you're in a search party right there, you look at it and you've got a mob of 50 do-gooders out there they are going to go beating through the bush, hold up, Get the visual and guys out there that are good visual trackers and the police dogs for tracking. Get them in there first. Let them go through the area. If they strike out, okay, then you can put people online, you know, at three meters. They're between individuals and sweep an area. But don't automatically go in there and trash the area looking for the person and make it impossible for the dogs and visual trackers to do their job. I've seen that on, in police training. I conducted a, an operation there with the police in North Carolina back in the 80s, and that was the first thing I saw that happened right there. You know, the mob went through the area, and then the dogs came, and the dogs were just there. I mean, they're, they didn't have enough to work because the mob had totally destroyed the area as far as their usage goes. We actually did find the individual after that with uh, basically with some basic visual tracker operations of expanding the perimeter. It took a long time, but we found the individual. It took a lot of work, and it could have been done probably in an hour and a half if the people hadn't muddled all the sign mm-hmm. initially.
1: Well, Mike, thank you very much for this conversation. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you.
0: Anytime, Matt.
1: Okay, let's talk about two, maybe three key takeaways from this discussion with Mike. I thought it was very interesting. And there's a couple of things here that I think just stood out to me, something I've never actually heard anybody say before. Starting with, number one, not everybody is going to make it. Now, that's not meant to be dark and disheartening. What it's meant to tell you is that you need to surround yourself with people and develop in your own mind people with a good mindset of a can do attitude and can make things happen. When times get hard, it's the people who have this mindset that this is never going to end. Oh, this is dumb. And they just want to collapse. That mindset is contagious. In a survival situation, whether you're lost in the woods or it's just a natural disaster, you need to keep your mind engaged and focused on staying positive and knowing that you're going to make it. The people who are not doing that, all they're going to do is start eating supplies and they're just never going to recover. And that's not a situation you want to be in. So that was number one. Number two. You need to get out there and practice. You're never gonna learn all of the survival skills that are out there just by reading a book. And I know I'm bad about this. I read a book, I watch a YouTube video and think, oh, hey, I got this, but you know what? I don't got this. A lot of the times, doing it for real is significantly more difficult than doing it in your mind. Key example of this one, even though it's pretty recent and it's not even that difficult, was the Survival Fire Challenge. When I did that one a few months back, all I had to do was start a fire using my fire steel and some tinder and my little metal folding stove. And I had to boil water on it. And you guys can find that back in the community pages. But the key thing out of this one is that took me like an hour to actually get that fire going and sustain it long enough to boil water. And that's a pretty simple example compared to things like Processing the wood, building the shelter, and hunting for food, and snaring food, and killing it, and cooking it, and all of that fun stuff. You have to get out there and do it. And key takeaway number three. Look or just around your house for things that you can use in more than one way. There were some really good examples about super glue, duct tape, and all the things you can shove in a survival kit based out of your kitchen junk drawer, and I really enjoyed that part of the discussion. But what it took away from me was that when you have a survival mindset, you're not just thinking about what you have in front of you. I think actually a really good way that that Mike put this was it's not about what you can bring with you, it's about what you find along the way. All right, that's my big three. I know there was a lot more. If you want to let me know what you took away from this conversation, make sure you come by the website at everydaymarksman.co and drop a comment on this episode. All right, now before I wrap things up, just a couple housekeeping items as a reminder. If you are new to the show, here's how you can help me out. Number one, all I ask is that you subscribe. and you let somebody else know about it. Help us grow. Let somebody know about the show that you found and how awesome it is, and subscribe. If you're feeling froggy, make sure you can leave me a review on your podcast player of choice. Apple Podcasts is great, but if you have a different one, how about this? Come by everydaymarksman.co forward slash rate, and right there, it'll have a whole list of all the places that you can leave me a review. And that really does help me out a lot. It gets the word out, and people pay attention. If you have been with me for a while, then make sure you come by the website and sign up for our community because you know what? We're all in this together. And lastly, if you really want to help me out, come by everydaymarksman.co forward slash support and that will take you to our Ko-fi page where you can help us keep producing great content. All right, that is it for me this week. I hope to see you next week. And until then, take care of yourself and I'll see you out there.